Welcome to the Present Centered Life Podcast. In every episode, we talk about how to live your day-to-day life centered around the presence of God and the person of Jesus. We hope today's episode will stir up hunger for God in you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Present Centered Life Podcast. I'm Hannah Stevens. And I'm Hazen Stevens. And we are so excited to continue our conversation that we began in the last session, session six, on when the road gets dark. Today, we are doing session seven of our Revivalists and Mystics, a conversation series. And we are going to be looking at a mystic named St. John of the Cross and begin to together see what um, we can glean from his life that was marked by deep suffering. And today is a part two to our last session It's a continuation of our conversation on suffering, difficulty, and as Hannah said, when the road gets dark. And so in our last session, we went through some of the stages in the spiritual journey, and we just want to open up this session just giving a quick review of those and connecting them to the journey of the Shulamite in the Song of Solomon, which in that book of the Bible for many, many, many centuries within Christian history, it's been taught as an allegory of the Christian life. And it's something that has experienced somewhat of a revival in thought within the church that the book of Song of Solomon is is not just for the marriage seminar, but it's actually something that gives us insight into the spiritual journey. Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary to China, wrote an excellent book on the Song of Solomon as an allegory for the Christian life. And there are verses that pair very well with the various stages. So I'm going to recap the stage for us. And then Hannah is going to share the scripture from Song of Solomon. And this is really appropriate as we talk about St. John of the Cross, because much of his life was informed by the book of Song of Solomon. So the first stage in the spiritual journey is the recognition of God or the awakening of love. And this is that Faith ultimately is the discovery of God, and there's an incredible joy and excitement in that stage. And so, Hannah, share the verse with us. Yeah, so this is just the opening, very opening verses of Song of Solomon. We hear the description of the Shulamite maiden um, delighting in the love that she's discovered that the king has for her. It says, the king has brought me into his chambers. This is Song of Songs chapter one, verses four and five, the king has brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in you. We will remember your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. And then she says, I am dark, but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. She's recognizing that in her weakness and in her barrenness, she is loved by the king. And there's nothing that she can do that to keep her from this love that's being poured out on her and that she has now been awakened to. Such a beautiful season in the Christian journey. I can remember that season in my own life, and it was a sweet season, a sweet time. Oftentimes that's followed by stage two, which is the life of discipleship. And this is where faith becomes not just about knowing that God is real, but that that we can learn about Him and know him in a a deeper way. And so it's learning things about God. Oftentimes we get connected to a faith community in this stage. We experience the gift of mentorship and we grow in what it means to really be a follower of Christ. 
And so Hannah, read us the verse from yeah, that section. Yeah, so in Song of Solomon, once she has the Shulamite maiden has this awakened love, she wants to be near the king, but she doesn't even know where he is. So she asks in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, Tell me, O you whom I love, where you feed your flock, where you make it rest at noon. For why should I be as one who veils herself by the flock of your companions? And the shepherd king answers, If you do not know, O fairest among women, follow in the footsteps of the flock and feed your little goat beside the shepherd's tents. So we see this call to discipleship. If you don't know the way to go, follow where the flock is. Plant yourself beside the tents of the shepherds and learn from those who already know me and those who are already following me. Stage two, the life of discipleship. The third stage is the productive life. So we've been awakened in our faith, and now we're learning and growing about God, and we begin to see some of the first fruits of a life that is lived by faith. And so there's oftentimes a sense of responsibility and ministry that will come, a utilization of the gifts that God has given, goals that are reached, impact on the lives of the people around us. And so we see in the productive life there is a joy of serving God that comes into the life of the believer. Yeah, and it's a it's a joy of serving that God actually invites us into. And in the story of Song of Solomon in chapter 2 is when the Shulamite is invited to embrace this life of partnership through ministry. Chapter 2, verse 10, it says, My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. And we see the shepherd inviting the Shulamite to co-laboring with him and beginning to journey with him in the productive life. You know, it's really striking to me oftentimes when you have different people in different seasons of the journey that Christians can oftentimes experience a lot of discontentment in their walk by comparing themselves to someone else in a different stage of the journey. And so the person, you know, in stage two will look at a person in stage one and say, oh, you know, you have a a love for God, but you don't really know God in a deep way. You need to be trained. And a person in stage three might say, oh, you know a lot about God, but where are your works that prove your faith? And, you know, people who are the next stage is going to be a journey inward, but people are in a deeper season of of inward spiritual growth will look at someone who's productive and say, oh, you're a Martha and not a Mary, you know, and there's all these different ways that we will accuse people in other seasons, compare ourselves to people in other seasons, or perhaps even judge our own season based on a previous season. And I think one of the things that's really helpful about this framework that we're reviewing is if we can find uh, through discernment clarity around the season that we're in and just recognize it as the gift from God that it is, as opposed to as opposed to judging it or comparing ourselves to others, just recognizing we're in a different season and then understanding what God's calling us into, uh, but moving forward without despising the season that is necessary. And oftentimes I think we just want to run without crawling. And I think it's just so helpful to understand these stages. And so that was really striking me, especially as we think about moving from the productive life to stage four, the journey inward, which is where there's a certain rediscovery of of God. We experience God in a powerful way in phase one. We learn about him. We come to fruitfulness. And then in John 15, it talks about how everyone who is fruitful, he prunes. So you have to have a certain fruitfulness 
in order to experience this pruning. But during that season of pruning, there tends to be, and that's not because you've done something wrong, but it's because God is inviting you deeper. We hit something called the wall, which the idea of the wall within stage four is that my will is confronted with God's will. And I learn to surrender and yield and submit to him. I think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in certain ways. He's hitting a moment where he's about to confront deep suffering, challenge, and adversity. And the very Son of God himself has to submit his will to the will of the Eternal Father. And so if Jesus had to go through that kind of trying process in order to come out on the other side, obedient, and in many ways, uh, it, it says in Hebrews that Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. Not that he ever had disobedience in him, but his, his obedience was proved through these moments of testing and difficulty when he had to surrender his will to God. And, and he prayed in the garden, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And that act of submission was the, the stepping into, uh, in the garden, the spiritual suffering and the physical suffering of the crucifixion. And so we can see those same moments in the life of believers all throughout the scripture. And we see it in the Song of Solomon. Yes. Um, this moment of almost this loss of everything you think you know and having to to surrender in a deep way. It happens in chapter 5 of Song of Songs when um, she's expecting to see, the Shulamite is expecting to see her beloved in the ways that she's seen him before. But when she rises up to see him, he is no, he's not there. And in verses six through eight, it says, I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. My heart leaped up when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchmen who went about the city found me. They struck me. They wounded me. The keepers of the walls took my veil away. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved that you tell him, I am lovesick. It's in the moments of testing that we truly get to see the authenticity of our love for God. And St. John of the Cross, in a moment when we tell his story, he coined the phrase, the dark night of the soul, or it came up out of his experiences and his writing. And this is the stage where people experience that, Mm -hmm. what was just described in the life of the Shulamite. And thankfully, though, I believe any believer that wants to move on to maturity will have a season or seasons like this that are refining and purifying. The Christian journey doesn't end in the tomb. Praise God. It doesn't end on the cross. There's resurrection. And that is found in stage five, the journey outward. He prunes us so that we will ultimately, he prunes fruit from us. So we ultimately will bear more fruit. And there's a time where glory to God, the stone is rolled away and Jesus comes forth from the tomb in victory. And so that same pattern we find in the Christian journey, there's a time that now that we've surrendered to God, lest the seed fall to the earth and die, uh, there will not be much fruit. And so it's in our death that we experience fruitfulness and new life through our journey with God and through our ministry in this earth. And so we move into stage five, which is this journey outward And in Song of Songs 7, that's captured. So read that for us, Hannah. Yeah, so in chapter 5, she has hits the wall and experiences almost an abandonment from how she's encountered the shepherd in the past. And we see through the progression of 5 and 6 
a display of her trust and commitment to the shepherd no matter what. And there's this beautiful song where she just attests to how good the shepherd is and of her love. And her love is revealed as being pure and spotless. And the shepherd returns. And then he again invites her um, to this journey of co-laboring together. And in verse 11, he says to her, Come, my beloved, let us go forth into the field. Let us lodge in the villages. Let us get up early in the vineyards. So they again are returning to the work and the labor together, but it's in a, in a fresh and a deeper, more surrendered way. And then we have the final stage, the life of love, which we see that characterized in Song of Solomon chapter 8. And it's in this season or this stage that faith is ultimately reflecting God. We're living incarnationally. We have, through our being with God, learned to abide. And now from our abiding, we've had fruitfulness, we've experienced pruning, and now we're bearing more fruit. And we've learned to walk with God in a deeper, more intimate way through the seasons of blessing and testing. And we've come out, in the words of Song of Solomon 8, we've come out leaning upon our beloved. And so, Hannah, read that to us and then just add any concluding thoughts as we begin to transition to talking about John of the Cross. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. So just a concluding thought, and we mentioned this last, but the idea of coming, the partnership of the Shulamite with the shepherd, she's leaning on her beloved. And ultimately, I think the pinnacle of our spiritual journey isn't one of strength, but one of, of weakness where we have fully surrendered to the Lord and we are leaning on him for our every breath, for our every next step and that we are um, fully submitted to him in every way for what he would have us do and we're able to do it with him in full partnership and unity it's a beautiful gift of love i love how in the sermon on the mount in matthew chapter 5 jesus is describing the value system of the kingdom and he introduces this first public message that we see recorded in the book of Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in many ways he's describing the entry point to the kingdom. And I think in some ways you can see the beatitudes as a progression that build upon one another. And by the time he gets to the concluding beatitude, he said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so as we experience poverty of spirit, we recognize our need. We enter into this journey but the culmination of it is not that we all of a sudden become self-sufficient, but it's we continue to lean on God even through trials, persecution, and suffering. And so the beginning of our faith is in knowing that we have nothing to offer to God, and we only come to know that more deeply and are transformed by that as we journey with Him and we come up leaning on our beloved with his fiery seal of love set upon our hearts and set upon our arms. Now, something you said last time, Hannah, that I want to take a moment and pray, but something that you said last time is that these are tools, not rules. And I like, I like that a lot because a lot of times we can take frameworks, take things that are intended to be helpful and, and we can use it sometimes, uh, in a way that, that sets more rigid boxes than are intended. And this is, 
a roadmap, a, a way of understanding the different seasons of the Christian journey. But I do think it's very important for us to recognize what you said last time is really true, that we will go through these in a small scale and sometimes in microcosms. And it's not that once you've experienced one season, you may never visit that season again, and we may not all journey through them in a linear fashion. But for those of you who are out there listening, you may have heard in this review uh, the impression of the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, this is the season that you're in, or this is a lesson I want you to learn from this season in the descriptions of the stages. And I just want to pray for those that are listening as we transition to talking about John of the Cross and his life, that there would be real insight, and especially for those that find themselves hitting up against the wall. They find themselves desiring to submit the will to God, but they're in the wrestle of that because doing that is going to require surrender and suffering. So Father, we pray right now for people that are in the throes of the dark night, the road has gotten dark before them, and it's hard to recognize even where God's voice is. I pray, Father, that there would be an ability to recognize where they are in the journey, that you would speak even in your still quiet voice to people's hearts, and you would give them, them strength to persevere and continue down the road. I thank you, Lord, that part of the way that we know that we're on the narrow road and not the broad road is that the broad road is filled with ease while the narrow road is difficult and few find it. But for those of us, Lord, who are who are on the journey and progressing to knowing you in a deeper way, let, let us not get stuck, sidetracked. Let us not get distracted. Let us find ourselves by the grace of God persevering in the stage that we find ourselves presently growing in maturity. And for those especially who find themselves up against a wall in the moment of pressing and testing, God, I pray that they would see the glory that is in that moment as their faith is tested and that they would come out on the other side leaning on you with hearts full of love. And so I just pray right now, grace upon grace for any person that would find themselves in that season, Lord, that they would see your kindness, your love, and your goodness even in the midst of the difficulty. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And anything else you want to add to that? Yeah, just one last thought regardless of where you identify yourself in the different stages, I think some helpful questions you could ask yourself is one, ask the Lord, how can I most partner with you in this stage that you have me in? And just hold that question before the Lord and see what he says. See like, how can you agree with him more in whatever stage you're in? Second question is who have you given me in this moment as part of my community as spiritual friends that can be with me on this journey because we aren't meant to walk it alone. Sometimes it's really broad. It's in our discipleship moment. It could be a lot of different podcasts, teachers, pastors, a lot of people in our small groups, house churches. In the stage four moment when it's the inward journey, sometimes only there may be one or two people that are able to walk with you in those deep spaces, but there always is somebody. So I would Try to determine with the Lord who are the people that God's given you for whatever stage you're in. And I would agree. And I think especially when you're in stage four, it's helpful to have someone who's come through the other side of stage four when you're going through that season yeah, of hitting definitely. the wall and suffering. Absolutely. It's helpful to have someone who can say, there is a stage five and uh, I've tasted the promised land and it's not all wilderness. Amen. And so that is a, 
That's good. The word promises that to us, but it's invaluable to have brothers and sisters who can can encourage us in that along the way. Well, Hazen, do you think you'd be willing to, as we move on now, to talk about St. John of the Cross, to give us a sketch of his life? And why, why is it important that, or why is he a helpful figure from from history to look at when we consider the the dark times of suffering that we experience in life? Well, he is a clear example of someone who has walked through all the stages that we just described. And through his life of suffering and difficulty, and what's amazing about John of the Cross is not only within the Christian sphere, but within history, he's considered one of the greatest poets, uh, and especially one of the greatest poets of the Spanish language. And so much as Song of Solomon is this beautiful poem, that one of the greatest songs of all songs, St. John of the Cross wrote these incredible poems that describe his spiritual journey. And so he is a remarkable person to examine his life and then appreciate his poetry, the art that came out of his season of suffering that reveals such beauty concerning who God is and and who God is to the believer as they progress through suffering. And so just as I was saying, it's really valuable to have people in our lives that can tell us there's a stage five, there's a stage six, keep going, don't give up. Equally, it's valuable to look at the lives of those who have now gone on to the great cloud of witnesses who are cheering us on and their lives continue as a testimony and an example to us of how to pursue God. Uh, it's invaluable to look at the, the journey of these people who were so remarkable in their faith and to, to let their lives speak to us how to move on and progress in maturity. Because as you said, there is a real risk that you become the language is caged at a certain level and not progress to a deeper place of maturity. Now that doesn't mean you lose your salvation or that God is angry or displeased with you. It just means we plateau in our journey and we don't move on to the yeah. deeper expression of love. And we do that because there's an unwillingness in many respects to move forward or, or not understanding clearly what God is inviting us to. And so John of the Cross, his life, the life of others can often be examples of us to persevere and keep going uh, even through the trying and difficult times. So as you said, I'll jump into the biographical sketch so St. John of the Cross was born in 1542 in Spain, and he was born to poverty. His father died when he was three years old, and his mother had to move often trying to find work and provide for the family. And as a child, John was sent to a boarding school for poor and orphaned children. So John lived the life of an orphan, uh, destitute, and really struggling with a lot of adversity even from an early age. He was given a religious education, and he chose to follow a religious path from the very earliest days of his life. He served as an acolyte as an, at an August, Augustinian monastery, and as he grew older, he went to work in a hospital while attending a Jesuit school. In 1563, this is when he would have been in his early 20s, he was able to join the Carmelite order and took the name John of St. Matthias. He made vows the following year and was sent to the University of Salman Salmanica. <laughs> My Spanish pronunciations are not very sharp today. To study theology and philosophy. And he became an expert in the Bible. And he translated the Song of Songs into Spanish, which would have been a very risky thing to do, a daring thing to do at that time because they only permitted the Bible to be in Latin, I believe. And so that act was controversial because the church forbade the translation of the Bible. 
and the intent in part was to protect the original meaning of scripture, but he did translate the book of Song of Solomon's in uh, the book of Song of Songs into Spanish. And that just shows the incredible value that he had for that book. And John becomes a priest in 1567. And he thought about joining something called the Carthusian order, order that uh, they were monks that lived cloistered. He was really attracted to the simple and quiet life, but he encountered a woman named Teresa of Avila. And there's a great book called Fire Within by an author named Thomas Dubay, and he profiles both of their lives, and these two become incredible friends. And she was a, uh, a charismatic Carmelite nun, charismatic in the sense that her personality and leadership, and she was just a very dynamic reformer within the church. And she invited John to come and follow her. And John became a, a, a follower and a disciple of Teresa. And he was attracted to the routines and rhythms of her devotional life. And he was really devoted to prayer and simplicity as a lifestyle. And so much so that Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross and their followers, they went barefoot and were known as the discalted Carmelites because of their willingness to go barefoot as a representation of their commitment to a simple lifestyle. So a lot of Carmelites resisted the reforms that John and St. Teresa were bringing. And in Dece- on December 2nd of 1577, a group of Carmelites actually break into John's residence and kidnap him. And he's taken by force to the order's main house in Toledo, and he's brought before a court, and he's placed on trial for disobedience, and then he ultimately is punished by imprisonment. And a cell is made for him in the monastery that was so small he could barely lie on the floor. And he was fed only bread and water and occasional scraps of fish. And each week he was taken into public, uh, the, the public eye and lashed and then returned to his cell. And his, his only comforts were a prayer book and an oil lamp to read it by. And to pass the time, he wrote poems on paper that was smuggled to him by the friar charged with guarding his cell. And it's only after nine months that John is able to finally pry the cell door open from its hinges and he's able to escape. And it was during this extremely dark season where he's kept in this cell that by the light of that three-inch hole high in the wall and by the light of the candle, he writes two of his greatest poems, the Cantico Espiritual, the Spiritual Canticle, and Noche Oscura del Alma, Dark Night of the Soul. And these two extraordinary pieces illuminated both his own darkness and the mystery of his journey, which many people have since followed. So John becomes known as a remarkable influential poet, especially following his death. And his poetry has inspired mystics and artists throughout the centuries. And during the last few years of his life, John traveled. He establishes new places of worship across Spain. And in 1591, he becomes ill with a skin condition that resulted ultimately in an infection. And he, deci- he, he dies in December 14th, 1591. He, he passes away. And so that's a little bit of the life of John of the Cross. And obviously what is notable is that it was from that deep place of suffering that John wrote the things that he's most known for, his beautiful poetry describing the spiritual journey. So Hannah, you're going to read a few quotes to us from some people that have written about John of the Cross. 
Um, before I do that, I do want to, you know, we've talked about the stages of the faith as outlined in the critical journey. But St. John on the Cross had his own stages of maturity, and I just want to kind of highlight what his view of maturing in the life of faith is like. And for him, it starts with um, the step that he called purification. And the purification is when the believer learns to no longer be governed by the passionate flesh, but being purified, separated from the fleshly ways of being and setting themselves apart for the Lord. In the second stage, illumination, as one separates himself and is purified from the flesh, we begin to experience the pleasures of God. And this stage is characterized by heightened awareness of the presence of God and the enjoyment of his gifts. Mm. So purification and then illumination. But then to go further along the way, St. John of the Cross refers to another stage of purification And this is one of the spirit. And this is where the stage that he's so well known for is called the dark night of the soul. Or he also calls it the wounded neck or suspended senses. And during this stage, the mystic feels an absolute loss of God, a sense that the sun has been completely obliterated. Desolation and despair are the usual emotions. Yet no matter how long the emptiness continues, the soul clings to God, for this spiritual crucifixion is necessary. One must learn to seek God for God's sake, not for the sake of happiness that God brings. Only then can one enjoy perfect union with God, according to St. John of the Cross. Could you expound a little bit? I think it's such a profound statement to no longer seek God for happiness sake, but to seek God for his own sake. Yeah, I think, you know, it's really only in the seasons of testings that we can discover this for ourselves because the gifts that God gives us when he brings us into his family are so rich and the spiritual pleasures that are available as we learn to abide in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, they're incredible, they're amazing. And it, I think can be possible to sometimes confuse the the gifts with the giver and even even if we're not wanting to do that like there's just amazing gifts that come with the presence of God and in the dark night of the soul moments it's we're we're actually able to see for ourselves no I'm not seeking God for the good things that he gives me but my desire and my heart is for him alone and the only way we can know that is when the good things are taken away from us, and we still feel that hunger and that burning for fellowship with God. And that's really when we can know that our hearts are really His. It's such a simple and in some ways a weak illustration of this principle, but it is the truth that we as parents bring joy to our children through giving them gifts, feeding them food, taking care of them, especially when they're very young, they receive a lot of delight and joy in our care and our gift giving and our nurturing. And an amazing thing happens as they mature and their love becomes increasingly selfless that you begin to see in the same ways that you sacrificed for your children early on in your relationship with them. And it was all about giving. Now they begin to sacrifice in order to give back to you in small ways. And 
And I just know as a father, when I see my children reflecting back to me the same selfless love that I've shown to them, in small ways, they're suffering for the sake, whether it's simple things like our oldest daughter cleaning the kitchen and doing the dishes. She's not doing it to gain some favor. She's doing it because she wants to give something to me as a father. And I think our willingness to persevere with God through seasons of suffering demonstrates, God, we're loving you for your sake, not just for the sake of your affirmation, the gifts that you would give us. Uh, And I think I've experienced that as a father as I've seen my children grow older. It's a precious gift when someone gives you selfless love. St. John of the Cross actually has an incredible quote that illustrates what you're describing. I want to read it now. It says, he says, God is more pleased by one work, however small, done secretly, without desire that it be known, than a thousand done with the desire that people know of them. Those who work for God with purest love not only care nothing about whether others see their works, but they do not even seek that God himself know of them. Such persons would not cease to render God the same services with the same joy and purity of love, even if God himself were never to know of these. I want to love God in that way. Me too. (laughs) It's so provoking. Beautiful. So are there any other highlights from John's writing that you want to draw out or from what's been written about him? Yeah, I don't have any quotes about things that were written about him, but I have a few quotes that he's said that I'd love to share. Um, This other one, he says, Oh, you souls who wish to go on with so much safety and consolation, if you knew how pleasing to God is suffering and how much it helps in acquiring other good things, you would never seek, seek consolation in anything, but you would rather look upon it as a great happiness to bear the cross of the Lord. Mm, so rich. Yes, and the thing I want to draw out about this quote is how St. John of the Cross is reminding us that suffering is, God has purpose in it. He has intention, and it's unto the acquiring of other good things, things that we could not access in God unless we say yes to the journey of testing that suffering and darkness brings. And it just reminds me of just the scriptures that point us to the eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And it's really, there's so much good on the other side of suffering. And he's reminding of that us of that here. He said, you would never seek to be consoled when you're suffering. You would embrace it with joy if you just knew the good that is on the other side. And he's one of those guides who's pointing, who has walked through the, the journey of persecution and pain and is able to point to us. It's worth it. It's really worth it for the good that God wants to bring and for the union that's possible and the intimacy available with God as you learn to, to submit to, to his process in your life. One other quote I think I'd like to end on here is just as relates to prayer. And St. John on the Cross says, Never give up prayer. And should you find dryness and difficulty, persevere in it for this very reason. God often desires to see what love your soul has, and love is not tried by ease and satisfaction. Can I add this one additional quote to that? And then I think it would be very appropriate if you would close us in prayer in this section. 
St. John says, It is regrettable then to behold some souls laden as rich vessels with wealth, deeds, spiritual exercises, virtues, and favors from God, who never advance because they lack the courage to make a complete break with some little satisfaction, attachment, or affection, which are all about the same, and thereby never reach the port of perfection. And I just think of the Lydicean church, or the church in Ephesus, excuse me, that uh, Jesus called to return to the works that they did at first. And I feel like there's an invitation for us in the Western church in particular, just to recognize that there are, uh, though we have greater knowledge, uh, greater resource, greater spiritual opportunity in many ways than generations that have gone before because of the moment that we live in history. Oftentimes we do not advance to maturity because we're unwilling to break with some satisfaction, attachment, or affection. Mm. And I think it is the kindness of God that he would take those things that we cling to and invite us to let go of them for the sake of reaching a deeper place of maturity and intimacy with him. With that, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give us courage, Lord, to say yes to the journey, Lord, even though if it leads through the dark places and though we may be persecuted by even those who love us and experience testing in every place of even the good and, and natural attachments that you give to us as gifts, Lord, may they never be more important to us than not just obedience to you, God, but intimacy and fellowship with you. And I pray for that gift of courage, Lord, to, to resist, to give up and surrender the attachments as you bring them before us, Lord, that we be able to offer you our love and our surrender, God, and that you would give us, show us the great things that are on the other side of the wilderness, of the seasons of barrenness, that it would be unto greater fruitfulness and a harvest of righteousness, not just for us and our loved ones, Lord, but for, for the world and for the generations to come. Come and have your way, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. This is session seven of the Present Centered Life podcast, our conversation on revivalists and mystics. Remember to go back and listen to some of the other ones if this is your first one. And we are going to wrap up with our next session, session eight. So make sure you check that out. It has been a joy being with you today.